Uh, I've really been uh, enjoying the last few days. I've, I've done something I'm calling 40 Days of Focus, which is kind of like a sabbatical, but not really. I, uh, I uh, d didn't do hospital visitation, counseling, didn't run any staff meetings, and didn't go to the office for the last, uh, I mean, I got one more week to go. And uh, boy, I've had, I've, uh, God's really been, uh, uh, been good to me during this time. I've, I've been meeting with Christian leaders. I've met with about five different Christian leaders around New England. Um, I, I spent an hour and a half with my psychologist. <laughs> Steve's funny. Some of you I've referred to, I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to ask everybody to stand that's gone to Steve Life for counseling, but I've referred a lot of people to Steve. He really should be giving me a cut. But he's more expensive than I am. <laughs> but uh, he told me one time, I wanted to talk to him about something. He said, well, I won't take a friend as a client. He said, if you ever want to talk about family systems theory, I'll talk to you. So every time I want to talk to him about anything, I'll text him and say, can we get together and talk about family systems theory? <laughs> so so uh, I spent an hour half. what he gave me some stuff. Oh, my goodness. I just can't even share it. But I'm... In next February, I'm going to do a series on friendship, and I'm going to tell you some of the stuff that Steve shared because I picked his brain. and I went over to Patriot Place and met with Jack Easterby a couple of times, and boy, he's brilliant. And so I've had a great time. I read a bunch of books. I read, I read Nothing But the Blood, which affirmed what I've been saying. It's a good book because it affirmed what I've been saying. <laughs> I've been saying that Jesus... Did, that, that God didn't get over his anger at us when Jesus died on the cross. He wasn't angry and he needed to kill his son. That just didn't ever made sense to me. That God was so angry and full of wrath and he killed his son. Oh, I feel better now. What kind of... That is sick. I'm made in the image of God and I know that's not how I get over my anger is killing one of my children. I may feel like killing them, but that's different. <laughs> So anyway, it's been good, and thank you for your support during this time, and uh, I felt I, I needed it. Um, we're going to go, uh, it, I, I hope you will, if you didn't, weren't here last week, I hope you will go uh, listen to the podcast, because I shared some historical background that I don't want to have to re-share this morning, so I'm going to share it, so I'll share some historical background about the story of Est Esther, because I'm not going from chapter one to the end. I've started in the middle, and now I'm going backward today. And so if you want to get caught up on some historical information about and put this into context, you'll need to go back and listen to the podcast from last week. And that's available uh, on the app. That's the best way is to download the app on your phone if you have a smartphone or, or, or you can go on the website. You can grab it there as well. Let's read Esther, excuse me, Esther chapter 3, verse 1. Sometime later, King Xerxes, you'll also see him call Ahasuerus, or Ahasuerus, I believe is the correct pronunciation. That was his title. Ahasuerus is his title. Exerces is his name. He promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which was the same thing as Amalekite. We'll talk about that later. Making him the highest ranking official in the government. All the king's servants at the king's gate used to honor him by bowing down and kneeling before Haman. That's what the king had commanded, except Mordecai. Mordecai wouldn't do it. Mordecai wouldn't bow down and kneel. 
The king's servant at the king's gate asked Mordecai about it. Why do you cross the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him about this, but he wouldn't listen. So they went to Haman to see whether something should be done about it. Mordecai had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw for himself that Mordecai didn't bow down and kneel before him, he was outraged. And if you read over only the book, you find it. He went to King. Um, they went to King Xerxes and got him to sign a decree that not only could he kill Haman, but I mean, he killed Mordecai, but he could kill all the Jews. So we're going to talk today about facing the Hamans in your life, facing the things that are scary, and being brave. There's an old saying: if you don't, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. That's what Mordecai believed. I love the, I got into the reptile dragon metaphor last week, and um, I really enjoyed that metaphor for, for the things that scare us and the things that are evil. And I think uh, all the mythical stories from, from forever have used the dragon as something scary. Only the Chinese have made friends with dragons. I, I don't know what that's about, <laughs> but dragons aren't scary in China. The rest of the world, there's pretty scary things. And, and I've been surprised at how biblical that metaphor is. Because Psalms, I'm going to give you another, just a dragon verse. I think we give a dragon verse every week. Psalms 91, 13, thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, both the young lion and the, and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Both the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. It's obviously, it's obviously he's not saying we're going to go out and tread on all these things in the physical. He's obviously saying this is a picture, a model, a metaphor of what it's going to feel like when you face the things in life that scare you and for which you have to call on this thing called bravery and courage. See, see, Jesus, the gospel is, uh, is about Jesus saving you from your sins. But it doesn't save you from stress. It doesn't save you from situations that are going to scare you half to death. The gospel doesn't save you from opportunities to run in fear when you should go forward in faith. All right? Um, now, there's, there's immediate reward, though, and gratification for giving into fear and not standing up to the dragon, Haman. But Mordecai, I see... And I'm going to unpack this in a minute. He had a bigger fear. If he ever started bowing to the man who was acting like a god, he knew he would never stop. And he would have to stand up against the true God. That, that's what I want to talk to you today, today. That's why I call this when gods collide. The false god image that, I, that would like to destroy my potential will not necessarily feel bad. It will feel something like, now listen carefully, it will feel something like comfort, tranquility, immediate gratification, and esteem. That's how it will feel. See, those are the immediate rewards for not challenging the dragon. Hang with me here for a minute. The false god has a dual identity. It's the problem in front of you, but it's also the immediate but temporary reward for giving into the fear instead of challenging it. You know, uh, I, I, have, I have one of the scariest dragons represented on this table right now. One of the scariest, most frightening things to human beings 
You know what it is? The stack of bills. In this stack are things that I don't want to know about. There are things within this stack of papers that I don't want to see and I don't want to deal with. How many of you have ever left it alone? <laughs> Julie's raising her hand over here. But Patrick's a highly conscientious person. He probably goes and dives into it, right? That, that, that stack of bills and, and you, that, you, you just, just leave it alone and you can go play video games. You can go watch the Red Sox. You can go play golf. You can go in the pool. You can go watch your favorite TV show and you feel immediate gratification, immediate sense of comfort, Immediate sense of reward, immediate sense of, of esteem. I'm okay. Everything's fine. But do you know what happens? And you know, there, there, might, not, there might be some notes in here that too, some, some notifications that I don't want to know about. There might be some things I need to respond to in here. And you know what happens? Because I've done it before, and that's when Sherry took the bills away from me. <laughs> you, know what, you know what happens when you... When you bow down to the dragon of fear and afraid of those bills and afraid you don't have the money and afraid that there's a, there, there's a, a letter in there you don't want to read or a notification that you don't want to know about, you know what happens? Well, first of all, let me tell you what never happens. They, the bills never get paid. Never have I left a stack of bills for six months and went back and said, oh my goodness, I can't believe it got paid. They got tired of harassing me and sent me a note and said, it's fine. We know you can't get around to it. We understand. No, they get bigger. The bills get bigger. The people you didn't get back to get angrier. I'm prone to bow down to that which will bring me escape, comfort, and immediate gratification. I, I love this picture. Melissa Mills sent me this picture um, of a dragon. And I don't know if you can see it really well, but it says, Be brave, even if you're not, pretend to be. No one can tell the difference. So there's an incredible life-changing principle. And if you were listening carefully, you might have already picked up on it. But there's an incredible life-changing principle in what Mordecai did to overcome fear and be brave. Remember, he had the fear of not bowing to Haman on one hand. And on the other hand, he had the fear of not pleasing God. Uh, by the way, this is a principle that even if you're not a Christ follower, even if you do not if you're not ready to make that big decision, you can use this principle. And this will help you. For some of you, this will change your life. Really. Not because I thought of it or I said it, but for some of you, this will change your life. Because some of us do not understand what bravery is, and we don't understand what courage is. And I want to define for you clearly and plainly what bravery is today. And I want to help you, even if you're not a Christ follower. Just, uh, just do me this favor, though. If you're not a believer and you're not a church person, but you came to church today uh, because uh, for whatever reason you came to church. Just, just give God the credit, okay? 
when you put that thing into practice, give God the credit. That's all I ask of you. And, and, and let me tell you, if you will give your life over to Christ and you will receive him, I'm going to tell you, he will come alongside you and really help you in this matter. He will really be your friend and he will be on your side. So I re highly recommend you make a full commitment of your life to Christ as well. But any back to Haman, he, remember, he had that fear of not bowing to Haman. And what would happen to him? He knew it wasn't going to be good. And I, I'm going to explain to you in a little while why he knew. He, he, he was a smart man. He was a very discerning man. You see, first of all, first of all, Mordecai was in a very uh, high position. He was sitting at the king's gate. Everybody didn't get to sit at the king's gate. You had to, have, you had to be respected as one of the leaders of the community. It's like sitting on the city council to sit at the king's gate. So this Jewish man was sitting at the king's gate. And another thing that I know he was a discerning man, he had, he had heard of a plot to kill King Xerxes, and he had sent word and warned King Xerxes about a plan to kill him, and King Xerxes was able to stop the plot of those who were going to assassinate him. Now, King Xerxes had totally forgotten about that plot, of course, because remember, he drank a lot and, and had a lot of orgies and stuff, so he really didn't think a lot about what was going on around him. So... But nevertheless, he had done that. We know, the, we know the kind of man he was. And what was the key? What is the key to bravery? The key to overcoming any fear is to put a bigger fear behind you than the one in front of you. The key to being brave is being more frightened of something behind you than you are the thing in front of you. You know what will make you dig into these bills, the fear of poverty, the fear of what will happen when you don't pay your bills. Early in our marriage, I kept putting off a gas bill, natural gas bill. I kept putting off a natural gas bill. I don't know why I put it off. We had the money to pay it. I don't know. It was just didn't want to deal with it. So one morning I, I, I look out the window and I see a blue truck. And they are taking my gas meter away. They took my gas meter. I went out and begged the guy. It didn't matter. He was doing his job. He was going to take that thing back to City Hall or wherever they take it. And I had to go pay the bill. Taught me a lesson, right? Taught me to give, let Sherry pay the bills. <laughs> you have to be more afraid of not acting than acting. You have to be afraid of something. There has to be something that you're more afraid of than you're the, 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 something you're more afraid of that's righteous than something that's evil. If we're not fearful of the consequences of not paying our bill, we won't fear not paying our bills. If we're not fearful that our child won't be prepared for the realities of life, we will not fear over protecting them. If we're not fearful of ideas and forces that will destroy our culture, we won't be afraid to not take positions that are politically unpopular. If we're not fearful of the consequences of disobeying God, we will not fear disobeying God. When, see, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fear is the antidote to fear. 
Now, now let me, let me make it clear to you when we talk about the fear of the Lord. What we're, what we're talking about here is thousands of years of history have taught us that when God gives you advice, it's the best advice you could ever get. And when you ignore it, things do not go well for you. It, it would be kind of like if you were the person in this church, and maybe there is somebody out there, that just gives people great advice regarding the stock market. You're just, you are just spot on. And we know that if we get advice from you about what stocks to purchase and what stocks to watch and what stocks to sell, when to sell, when to buy, if we get advice from you, you're just so good. You're just like 90% of the time you are right. And you know what we should develop? We should develop a fear of not obeying your advice. Fear versus fear. That's what bravery really is. If we're not fearful of a meaningless life, we will fear throwing ourselves into causes that are worth living for. If we're not fearful of the tragedies that occur when our marital intimacy is lost, we, won't, we will not fear neglecting our marriage. If we're not afraid of what's, what, what the bad fruit that happens when marital intimacy is abandoned, I read a, a really touching story today, this week, about Dolly Parton, who's such a, well, she's just such a great songwriter. I think Dolly Parton has more hit songs than anybody in history. And of course, she, a lot of people don't even know what a prolific songwriter. She wrote the, uh, uh, what's that uh, really famous Whitney Houston song, probably number one hit, uh, I always love you. She wrote that song. I mean, she's just a great song. But I, but I, I, I knew, I knew something about her faith, but I didn't know much about it. But this article really opened up. She, she, she talks about in, in this article. Someone wrote about her, and interviewed her. She talked about a time in her marriage, when her marriage was going bad, and and she, uh, she's married to this guy named Carl, and uh, she said. Carl and I both had emotional affairs, that's how she put it, with different people. And, and when, you're, when you're famous and you're rich, which she is, there's, there's only one incentive that will keep you in a marriage. And that's the fear of the word of God. That's the fear of God. And, you know, when, and also when you're rich, you can face your fears a little differently. <laughs> And she actually built a chapel on her property to go pray about her marriage. Now, now you can't do that, right? You, 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 I, you, you and I can't do that. But she talked about going and she had to make a choice whether she was going to abandon her marriage or stay in it. And she, and she started going to this chapel and praying, and taking her guitar and singing and praying. And eventually Carl went with her and they prayed together. And I thought, that's bravery. That's bravery. You know how hard it is to face broken intimacy? It's really hard. It's really scary. It's really scary to face that kind of stuff. I, I think that kind of stuff is more scary to face than a firing squad. You've got to have conversations. You've got to talk about your feelings. And, and you've got to admit you were wrong. And you've got to admit that you were selfish. And only thing about yourself, that, that's really scary stuff, isn't it? So bravery, bravery, bravery is actually giving in to what you're most afraid of when what you're most afraid of is the right thing. I said bravery 
is giving in to what you're most afraid of when what you're most afraid of is the right thing to be afraid of. You know, I watch videos of uh, base jumpers. You ever, you ever see these guys that wear these uh, flying suits? You ever see this? And uh, I decided to pr- prepare this week. I would watch these, all these videos of these base jumpers. And uh, these guys are crazy, man. Uh, th- they have this very high mortality. Every one of them that interviewed talked about some friend that they had lost who didn't make it. And, they, and they're flying like 125 miles an hour down through these canyons and, and, and ca- uh, with rocks on both sides. And it's, just a, it's just incredible what they do. And I was really surprised what I learned, though, in listening to these guys. Uh, I, I thought that I was going to uh, hear guys that were, we're not afraid of anything, we're just fearless. Uh, but I discovered from these guys that I watched these videos three things about bravery that I really wasn't aware of. And, and the, the first thing I discovered was that bravery is not fearlessness. It's not an absence of fear. Because I thought, well, you just have to have no fear to do that. I mean, they jump out of airplanes. They jump out of anything. They'll jump off a building. They'll, they'll, they'll jump any, off of anything. But uh, one, one, of the, one of the most famous ones who's been surviving a long time, I think he's been jumping for about 15 or years or so, uh, he said, when a young person comes to me and says they want to start base jumping, and they tell me they're fearless, I tell them, you cannot jump. You will, you will die the first day if you're fearless. You cannot be fearless and do this. But here's, here's, what, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing that they all said. They all said, when almost every one of them, I think, said something like this. When we were a kid sitting in elementary school, and we thought about what we, we thought about, we saw like in biology class and, we, and stuff like that, and we saw uh, illustrations of flying. Or, or we sit outside and watch the birds. We just said, we've got to fly someday. We've got to fly. It was like a dream and a vision in their life to be able to fly like a bird or, or, or like an airplane and their body just do this thing. But they all said, we are very afraid. But they were more afraid of not living their dream. They were more afraid of, not, of, of dying someday of, uh, 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 as an old person and not having ever flown like a bird, of not having ever done the thing that they wanted to do with their life. You know, it's crucial to know that bravery is not fearlessness. First of all, if you believe that, if you believe that it is, you will constantly feel condemned and, and inferior because you imagine that there are superheroes out there who either successfully kill their emotions or they have, by the force of their will, trained their brain just to not register fear. I think, you know, my wife is one of the person, the people in my life that... Uh, I would look at her, uh, if, if I didn't know her really well, I would think, she's fearless. She's just not afraid of anything. She'll try anything. But that's not true. Uh, Sherry does what she does because there's something greater she's afraid of. 
There's something more important that she's afraid of. And she responds to that fear, and where, I, where sometimes I'll just go, oh, it'll be okay. Don't worry about it. You know, one of the reasons my kids love the Lord today is because Sherry was terrified that they wouldn't love the Lord. And I was too, but she, was, she, was, she had a greater thing than I did. So I, and I let, her, I let her motivate me. I really did. I never resented that at all. I let her motivate me to care about my kids and, and, and in a good way hover over my kids, not overprotect or be helicopter parents, but in a good way supervise and care and pray. And, and you know, the, the church, we think we've done such a wonderful thing by getting rid of hell. We, we just think we've done such amazing thing, but theologically we have taken the water hose to hell. We don't talk about hell anymore because that's negative. I'm telling you, there's some good things about to say about the fear of hell. Amen? There's just some, I mean, that'll motivate you if you believe. And I don't know, I'm going to be really honest with you, I don't know if, if, if I don't know if there's, the descriptions of hell are metaphorical. I, I don't know, fire and brimstone. And I, I really can't quite get my brain around that people are going to set and and burn literally for for gazillions of years. I can't really get my brain around that anymore. But we know something that according to the word of God, if we reject God and we reject his plan for our life, that there's an ending that's not as good as the other one. <laughs> whatever you want to, whatever, however you want to define an eternity of being separated from God, however you want to define that, or whatever you think that physically looks like, it ain't good. Amen. And if I fear that, I might actually become a real soul winner. I might actually start sharing Christ with people. I might actually start inviting people to church. If I really believe there's something to be more afraid of than, than the fear of witnessing or the fear of telling people about Jesus or the fear of being bold about my faith, maybe I, maybe I, need, maybe I need to once again believe there is some, something like hell. There is something like hell for those who, who turn their nose up at God. Maybe I need to believe that again in order to fuel me to be a man of faith and a man who cares and a man who has compassion and passion for lost people. <clears throat> Base jumper Cedric DeMont, he's the guy that, he seemed to be like the best at it of all the guys I, I interviewed. He said, fear is a necessity. It reminds you, and I love this. I thought this is a great quote. It reminds you that you're on to something important with high consequences. So it's obviously sending you the message. Be careful, but more importantly, it's sending the message that something really is important. When you feel afraid, when you feel afraid of looking at those bills, when you feel afraid, the message is sending you is there's something really important at stake. There's something really important at stake, something with very high consequences. Boy, one, another thing, you know, I know we have, uh, Sherry sells real estate. If you have other, others in the church sell real estate, one thing you know is when people mess up their credit and they still want to buy a house, they don't get to buy a house. I talked to a man this week, God bless him, who's challenging the dragon of anger in his life. 
He's challenging. You know why he's challenging it? Because he's fearing losing his intimate relationships. He's fearing. He knows if he keeps acting his anger out, the way he's been acting his anger out, he's going to lose the key relationships in his life. And it, isn't what I'm preaching an easier thing for you to do than just be brave? Isn't it easier to find something that's more fearful? Isn't that an easier, easier advice? Find something that you fear more and say, I'm going to let that push me into the future. And I'm going to let that inspire me to be to have faith that God is the big the big thing is God is greater. And I don't have to, I don't know that I, I fear him like I'm terrified of him. I don't feel terrified of God. God's my father. I don't feel terrified of him like, like I would be afraid of, of smashing my body on the rocks if I were a base jumper. I don't fear him like that. But I don't care how you define that fear. It's a really healthy fear, but it's still a fear because I know that God behind me, he said he would be my rear guard. You know, that's scriptural. I know that God behind me is bigger than whatever's in front of me. Amen? Fear is always the starting point of faith. The second thing that I learned from base jumpers was bravery is not an enjoyment of danger. I thought these people enjoyed the danger. But no, they, they said, when we're up on that ledge, we are terrified. We are scared. We don't enjoy danger. You know, you, know what, uh, you know what danger is really about, though? And why you want to walk through danger? Because danger is the validator of hope. It's the validator of hope. So what do you mean? Well, well, it's kind of like this. Uh, it, you ever ride a scary roller coaster? And you, you get on that thing and, and your stomach does flips and, and you're flying through the air and turns and all that upside down and everything else and you're screaming your head off. And the thing comes to a stop. You get off, and you walk down the steps, and you're standing on the parking lot, and you're going, that was really scary, but I survived it. I'm still alive. Let's do it again. Danger creates hope because you find out you survived it. The Bible says that, that experience produces hope. Man, I went through that. You know, I went through surgery. I went through 38 straight days of radiation. I'm the man. <laughs> Third thing I learned is that bravery is not an addiction to, to adrenaline. I, I was so surprised when Cedric DeMond said, no, no, adrenaline is bad. I, I, I try to calm my adrenaline down because adrenaline makes me crazy. Adrenaline addicts are, ad here's the thing. Now, some of you are probably here this morning, and if you're really honest, you're an adrenaline addict. Adrenaline addicts are trauma addicts. But adrenaline addicts 
See, adrenaline addicts are, and here's the thing, and you, you, we all get into this sometimes, so I'm not just pointing a finger at you. Adrenaline addicts are addicted to trauma, not triumph. Boy, I'll never forget. And boy, the church is a great place. If, if you like to fight, man, church is a great place. Because we're fighting the devil. It's awesome. I'll never forget Pomona, California, and I was a young preacher boy, and I'm out there preaching in this church, and I go to the prayer room. I, some of you, how many of you, how many of you have ever been to a prayer room? Okay, some of you people, you've never lived until you've gone to a prayer room full of fanatics, full of Jesus-loving, devil-chasing, sin-hating fanatics, and. Bob Bloom, the pastor, he was a character man. He, he was wearing sneakers with suit 40 years ago. And, and he would get us all together back in this prayer room in the back of the church. And we're all there one night. I'll never forget. We're praying, God, bring the revival, bring the power down in this service. And I'm, oh, yes, God, come on, come on. And I hear this little woman beside me. She goes, and devil, take your toys and go home. <laughs> So you got to get some of that warrior spirit. Uh, you, you're going to be a warrior or a worrier, one or the other. I said you're going to be a warrior or a worrier. You got to get some of that warrior spirit in you. That's what uh, that's what Mordecai had. So these guys are not addicted addicted to adrenaline. What are they addicted to? There is an addiction. Here's what they call it, and maybe you'll be familiar with this term. Maybe you won't. I know. Musicians all know this term. They are addicted to what they call flow state. Flow state. Flow state is when you get lost in the activity and you are at one with the activity. Flow state is when a musician's playing his instrument and he can't make a mistake. Everything's going perfectly. The music sounds perfectly. He, he does it. When you get into flow state, it's effortless. It's people in sports understand flow state. People, uh, the great golfers understand flow state. When you don't, you're not thinking about hitting the ball. You're not thinking about, well, I need to do this and I need to get my body this way. And I need, you, 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 you don't think anymore. You're just, it's just pure enjoyment. It's just pure, it's, it's the intimacy in a love relationship, the intimacy, intimacy with a lover. It's when, it's when you're in flow state. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And that's what, the, that when, it's, when they leave the, it's when they leave the edge of the mountain. When they, when they leap off the building, that's when the anxiety goes away. That's when the fear goes away. And they begin to feel, say, I think flow state. I'm not saying God wants people to jump off of buildings. I, I, I don't recommend that at all. I don't want any of my kids or grandkids to be come base jumpers. But I believe flow state is part of the divine spark that God has put in human beings. When they come the closest that a human being can come to bearing the image of God, when they are thoroughly enjoying what they're doing, when they've broken through beyond the fear and the nervousness and they're in command. I believe it happened to Mordecai. 
I believe the first day was hard. I believe the second day was scary. But I believe by the time by the time that he, Haman shows up and by the time that they go tell Haman, I believe he was, I'm the man. Yes, I'm standing up. I'm standing up. This feels right. God is with me. You start feeling the force of God with you. Flow state is when we become one with our instruments. It's when the preacher becomes one with the audience. It's when, it's when we become... Uh, totally enmeshed and, and, and great at what we're doing. It's when we lose control and the divine force of God in the universe takes over. You don't get there by being addicted to tension. You get there by falling in love with the presence of God as a Christian. That's how it works. It, it's what the day of Pentecost was. It's really what the day of Pentecost. Do you realize how scary it was to be in that upper room? Now think about this for a minute. Think about this for a minute. Their leader had been maliciously beaten and crucified by an angry mob, by a local religious council, and by a government in Jerusalem. The center of Jerusalem was a place called the Upper Room. Jesus said, I want you to go until you be endued with power from one. I want you to go to the scariest place in the world. The scariest place that you can think of right now, disciples who just saw me crucified a few days ago. The scariest place you can think of, that's where I want you to go. And that's where I want you to pray. And that's where I want you to be together. No wonder, no wonder he told 500 to go and only 120 showed up. Because only the brave ones showed up. We kind of think, oh, they were going to a nice little prayer meeting. No, they were going into the jaws of the enemy. They were going to streets that were being uh, guarded by Roman soldiers. They were going back where the Sanhedrin hang out, hung out who had decided to put Jesus to death. They were going where the echoes of the mob that cried, crucify him, was still sounding. They were going where it was scary. They were going where it was dark. And he said, I want you to go there until, you, until the fear goes away. I want you to go face the fear till the fear goes away and you you don't feel the fear anymore. And when you don't feel the fear anymore, I'm going to send the Holy Ghost and he's going to endue you with power from on high. Hallelujah. <laughs> Bravery. And I want to return back to that point in a moment. Bravery is getting properly oriented to fear. See, see when I'm an adrenaline junkie, I just, I'm just a contentious contrarian. You know, I, I unconsciously start to need the chemical in my brain that happens when I argue and fight. My mother used to talk about people who would argue with a fence post. Mordecai was not a contrarian. He was not a contrarian. In fact, the name Mordecai—the name Mordecai wasn't his real name. His mother didn't give him that name. That was not a Jewish name. That was a Babylonian name, and it meant Marduk. Now, anybody who studied mythology knows what Marduk. Marduk was a, a pagan god. Marduk was a pagan god. And I know he wasn't some contrarian that always fought with everybody and always got in everybody's face and always said, no, I'm not going to. He didn't have the spirit of againstment, as we used to say about a man in our church when I grew up. No way. Or he would not have taken that name and worn it proudly. 
He was not looking for something to fight. See, Mordecai the Jew lived in Babylon under King Xerxes. The pagan and his respectful behavior had gotten him a place at the city gate. Now, he didn't get this position by being a fighter. But he was a student of history. Now, listen carefully to me. He was a student of history. And here's what you won't know on the surface by reading the story. He knew that Haman was an Amalekite. That probably doesn't mean, unless you studied the Bible, I'm not putting you down for that, you know. Uh, you probably don't doesn't know that. And you probably still don't know what that means. The Amalekites, almost 300 years before, 250 years before, had tried to destroy Israel. They were dedicated to the annihilation of the Jewish people. Mordecai knew that. He knew he couldn't bow to that. And another thing, Mordecai, you know, Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin. Guess who else was from the tribe of Benjamin? Saul. Our Bible scholar in the second row knows it's Saul. And what happened to Saul regarding the Amalekites? No, he didn't destroy them. He was supposed to. He was sent to take care of the Amalekites and his kingdom was taken away from him in part. His, so his great, great, whatever amount of grandfather back had refused to deal courageously with the Amalekites. And Mordecai says, that ain't happening again. That's not going to happen again. I don't care if I'm the only person in Jerusalem. I know that there's a powerful God who took care of Israel back then, who's around today, and I'm not going to be the one who bows to the Amalekites. Some of you are sitting here today, and there's been garbage in your family for generations. Your grandparents bowed to it. Your great-grandparents bowed to the garbage. Your parents bowed to the garbage. But you're sitting here this morning, and by the grace of God, you're going to be brave. By the grace of God, you're going to stand up and say, I know who the Amalekites are. I know what God's trying to, I know what the devil's trying to bring into my family. I know what he's trying to do, but I'm going to stand up and I'm going to face it. And God's going to give me the victory. Amen? The reality of the fear of the Lord. Is not terror, but trust. Uh, I don't know, Isaiah Bascom, you're out there. You're out there. There you are, Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah uh, sent me a text the other day and said, you ought to check this preacher out, Jeremy Foster. And uh, I thought, sure, sure. And first, first thing I thought, you know, isn't it cool to have a church where teenagers are watching preachers on YouTube? Good job, Jay. Good job. That, that is pretty cool to have a church where teenagers are texting their pastor saying, check out this preacher. Man, I thought that is pretty awesome. I like being a part of a church like that. So, sure, sure. So, I, 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 stopped, I pretty much stopped listening to sports radio entirely. You, you want to get emotionally messed up, just go around and listen to sports radio all the time. But that's fine. If you like being emotionally messed up, you need that, that, that little thing. You know, go ahead. I'm not, it's not a sin. Not a sin. I love sports, by the way. But, but I just, I, I started listening to preachers and lectures, uh, you know, 
uh, like a YouTube, and I found out my phone had, I found I got unlimited data. So I just, I just listened to people preach, and I listened to uh, uh, lectures by different speakers and guys and gals uh, going down the road. I don't, I don't watch the videos. I, I, I do not look at my phone and watch it. I just listen. So I, 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 um, I, I look up Jeremy Foster, Isaiah, and I, and I start listening to preach. He's a, he's a Texan. He's a cowboy. He's from Louisiana originally. He's a cowboy, just a country boy, and, and, and just, uh, I love it. You know, I got the inner redneck in me that doesn't come out very often, but, it, but it's there. And uh, he's preaching, one of the sermons I listened to was he's preaching at James River Assemblies of God in Springfield, Missouri, a great Assemblies of God church. And uh, he's preaching, and I, he starts telling the story. I, first of all, he starts telling, I said, ooh, brother, I don't think you ought to be telling that story. But I said, you know, he's, he's a big name, and he's in a big church, and he's probably okay. The, the, uh, you know, obviously it's working for him, right? But that story, when I heard the whole story through, I said, now that, there's courage and bravery in that story. And I, wanna, I just want to share it with my folks on Sunday morning. Here it is. His wife, I believe her name is Jennifer, was severely abused, by, sexually abused and otherwise by men in her young life. And that's a common story. It's way too common. I'm so sorry that that happened to some of you ladies here today. So she was a victim. Well, uh, Jeremy was a youth pastor, and they get married. And what shocked him, and probably her too, was abuse started on the honeymoon. But it, it wasn't coming from her to him. She was, it, was, it was her to him. Uh, she, be, she would physically attack him. In fact, it was so bad it was so bad when they got back from the honeymoon. It was so bad that he would go. He would wear long sleeves and down south. You know that's, that's a sacrifice. He would wear long sleeves to the office so people wouldn't see the bruises on his arms. And they dealt with that for nearly three years. And she would go into these violent rages, and uh, they didn't, she didn't know how to stop. He didn't know how to stop it. And finally, they they split up and went separate ways. And he's still the youth pastor. She's still living in the city. She began, she went and found a good counselor, number one. God bless good counselors. God bless good counselors. There's some good ones out there. There's some duds out there too, so, but there's some good ones. And she started, uh, she started uh, overdosing on Joyce Meyer books and tapes. They were separated for nearly three years. And one day, there was a knock on the door. Of his office, and it was her. It was it was his wife. Opens the door, she starts crying, and she said, "We can't go on like this." They reunited, and, and um, see. Before I want to show you their picture in a minute. What, let's wait though. What did she decide? She decided that having a broken family was more terrifying than being with her husband. They had two kids, by the way. She decided that living the rest of her life in the fear of the terrorists of her past was more terrifying than moving toward the symbol. See, a man was the symbol of her dragon. Not, not that man, but men in general. She decided that having a life that missed the purpose of God 
was more terrifying than living intimately with a man. And here's their picture on uh, Daystar. That's them right there. And uh, do we have that picture of their family? Let's put that picture of their family up there. That's their family now. Let me tell you what else. And this is unbelievable. They started a church in Houston, Texas, 2015. Uh, John Lindell, the pastor of James River, said this. So he's a credible guy. I know if he said it, it's true. John Lindell said, this Sunday... He said, that church has 9,000 people. In, in like three years, they went to 9,000 people on multiple campuses. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that something that incredible will happen to you if you move past your fears. I'm not suggesting your reward will be that great or that incredible. But I will tell you one thing. If you won't bow to that thing that's threatening you, when you know it's not the will of God for your life, it's not God's best for your life, and you're tempted to bow down to it, if you will stand up to it, I don't know that you're going to get a church of 9,000, and I don't know if all that's going to happen. I don't know if your family's going to look like that. I can't tell you that. But I'm going to tell you, whatever picture we show of you three, four years from now, a year from now, it's going to look great. It's going to look great. Remember that flow state we talked about? The base jumpers? The real addiction? When do you think? When do you think? Now listen carefully. I'm closing. When do you think that flow state occurs? When you're standing on the ledge and you're looking down in that mile of cavern that you, that you, that you know if you hit the side of the rock, you're dead. I mean, even if you just nick one of those, one of those uh, uh, jutting rocks, you're, you're gone, man. Or everything doesn't go perfect. Everything's got to go perfect. Is that when the flow state starts? No way. It starts after you jump. It starts after you reach the point of no return. For Mordecai, it was after he had established, I ain't bowing. It was after the consequences and Next Sunday, maybe we'll get into what the rest of the story of how God moved. And he, you see, and I don't have time to get into it now, but he, he triggered something. Something went into motion. Uh, well, let me just tell you this part. The king woke up in the middle of the night and couldn't sleep. And he starts going through all, he says, bring me all the files, you know. And he finds the documentation, this guy named Mordecai, who had saved his life. He said, we got to honor that guy. His bravery put into motion the power of God that's in the universe. What do you need to do to put into motion the power of God that's in the universe? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, there's people here today who need to step into their fear, who need to move toward the thing that frightens them instead of away from it. God, in the name of Jesus, give them the courage to do it. Now, if you want to pray about that, we got prayer partners here for you. If you want to pray about anything that you brought to church as a burden or a fear, you want to pray, come and have these prayer partners pray for you. Come receive communion. This is response time at Bethany. Let's enter in.